0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 118. We will be reading verses 1 and 2 and verses 19 through 29. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and God has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We have spent a lot of time recently in the Gospel of John, and we will return to the Gospel of John next week on Easter Um, Actually, on Friday as well, but this morning we are going to take an excursion into the Gospel of Matthew. We will be reading from chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our salvation. Amen. There's a part of me that always wants to introduce this particular gospel passage by saying, Stop me if you've heard this one before. Because for many Christians, we've heard this quite often. Once a year, from one of the gospels, we've heard this narrative. And this is where we begin to see the beginning of the end, because we know the story. We've slogged through weeks of Lent and fasting and prayer and going to extra church. And finally, we're only a week away from Easter. Finally, we get to shout Hosanna and wave our palm branches around, because this is the day. This is the triumphant entry. This is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the very end of his life. But when we look back on it, more than 2,000 years later, we look back saying, it's almost here, Easter. It's almost the part where he's not in the grave and we know he's the Messiah. This is such an important part of the narrative that it's in all four of the Gospels Many of the narratives we read are in two of the Gospels or in three of them because the Gospel writers were all either followers of Jesus or friends or students of followers of Jesus, and they had a lot in common. They had common experiences, and there's almost some direct overlap in some of them, especially in Matthew and Mark. There's so much in common between Matthew and Mark. Many, sto- many scholars agree that Matthew probably had the book of Mark sitting on his desk when he wrote his own gospel. But there aren't very many stories that we see in all four of them. This is a rare gem. And with all the excitement going on, the foreshadowing, the cluing into what Jesus has been up to and what Jesus will be up to, all of this builds up to this Moment that is clearly some sort of climax in the tale. This is the day. Even in the Gospel of Mark, where we hear Jesus constantly telling people to keep things on the down low, keep it under wraps, we see a freight train of energy and publicity hit as Jesus enters Jerusalem. It was an exciting moment for any pilgrim to the temple, but especially for Jesus' followers. Looking back, we know that all of the gospels ramp up the pace and the crescendo during Holy Week. And Palm Sunday is our indication that we're nearly there. We've almost reached the explosion of excitement that comes with Easter. Palm Sunday is exciting. And yet, Palm Sunday is ironic. The first irony is that in rides the Messiah that the people have been told is coming and they don't even realize it. The people shouted Hosanna, so it looks like maybe they got it, but we've sort of co-opted that word after hundreds and hundreds of years in the church using Hosanna to talk about Palm Sunday. It's not originally a shout of praise. Originally, Hosanna meant, save us. It had become sort of a shout of acclamation or a greeting for a famous rabbi or prophet with the people calling, save us. And so it's possible that the people shouting it were just excited in general, that they were excited because Jesus was known as a great teacher at the time, They were probably shouting because there were thousands of extra people in the city for Passover, and many important people would have been entering the city for the celebration. The city would have been electric and alive with celebration. Now, some of those people would have been followers of Jesus, people who had heard him teach, who had seen him heal, perhaps even people who had been healed themselves, or who had been fed on the hill with just a few scraps of food. But they weren't necessarily all acknowledging him as more than just a good rabbi or a great teacher. So Jesus wrote in, knowing what he was about to do for the sake of these people that still didn't get it. They are so far from getting the point that just after this, they sort of wander off. And don't stick around for very long after waving a few branches. There are other things to see during the festivities in Jerusalem. There are other people to cheer on in this exciting, celebrating city. The second irony is the animal on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem. First of all, most pilgrims would have just walked through the gates. Jesus and the disciples had walked all the way there. So why was there such a sudden need for a set of wheels? Or in this case, hooves. And if the Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem majestically, why not something cool like a camel or a horse? A donkey? Not even a big donkey. A young donkey colt that had never been ridden before. This wasn't the sort of power that people expected from the Messiah. Now, Matthew is a little confusing here because he shows us Jesus riding in on a donkey and a colt, and I'm not quite sure how that would have worked, but whether it was a colt or a mother and her colt, it was still quite an odd choice for a ride. And Matthew does help us out a little bit by pointing us to the Old Testament. He's telling us that Jesus is the peaceful king come to free the people, not a military power coming to swoop in and chase the Romans out. The only time royalty would have ridden into town on a donkey would have been as a sign of peaceful intentions. So Jesus came in with triumphant shouts, but not as the warrior the people expected, the one who would conquer sin and death, the one to whom one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, came in not as a warrior, but as a harbinger and carrier of peace. The disciples do a great job of helping Jesus out during this week. It's the disciples who went and did the task of getting this donkey. On Thursday, they'll get the room ready for the dinner, but on Friday, they still won't entirely get what's going on. Jesus knew this would be the last time he would enter Jerusalem, But nobody else did. Jesus tried to tell his disciples time and time again what was about to happen, but they just weren't listening. Back at the transfiguration, Peter wanted to build those little houses for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, because he was in denial that this death thing Jesus was talking about would actually happen. And this crowd on Palm Sunday understands Jesus even less than the disciples. The crowd are followers, in a way. They are interested, but they aren't disciples. They're fair-weather fans, at best. We have a tendency to live in the same sort of irony we see in the Palm Sunday narrative. We wave our palm branches and rejoice on Sunday for Jesus, but as the week wears on, Sunday fades from our memory, or we forget. That there is a shadow on Sunday's palms. The shadow of Friday's cross looms over our celebration. We forget to live in the day we are living in. There is a shadow on the palms that we are wise to remember. Not because we shouldn't allow ourselves to become emotionally invested in the story of Palm Sunday. It's good and okay to wave our branches around and watch children excitedly shout and sing. Celebration is important. That's part of our story. But we are wise to remember it because the shadow on the palms is the heart of that story. The shadow on the palms is why we are able to celebrate. Without the shadow of Good Friday falling on the palms of the triumphal entry, these are just branches waved around at another good teacher. We need each of these days this Holy Week to really understand the celebrations of Palm Sunday and Easter morning. And so we will gather this week to acknowledge the shadow. On Thursday evening, we will remember the Last Supper Jesus shared with his disciples. And Friday, we will remember his death, brutal and undeserved death at the hands of people who were so desperate to hold on to their power and the status quo that they didn't realize that death was for their sake. And finally, on Easter Sunday, we will gather to celebrate that while Jesus entered into a world that didn't understand him, was put to death by people who refused to acknowledge him, that death ultimately could not hold him. We do not gather to worship today or on Thursday or on Friday or on a week from today in order to fulfill a cultural obligation. We don't get extra points in heaven for being here today or Thursday or Friday or Sunday. We gather to worship because if we skip days, on our way from Palms to Easter, we have just diluted everything our faith in Christ stands for in our lives. When we forget to observe the valley between these two Sundays, we live christianity light the culturally acceptable but completely toothless version of Christianity that does nobody any good. So in your preparations this week for what is considered the highest holy day in our tradition, Remember that we have a whole week to reflect on in order that we might fully understand the light of Easter. Let's not skip straight from palms to the empty tomb, but let us remember the fullness of Jesus' sacrifice for all. May the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.